Welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, where the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. Hello. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It. Our topic this week is a historical connection between cats and green. But before we get to that, we need to thank uh, our Patreon subscribers, Dan F., and our new supporter, Michael W., all the way from Canada. Thank you, Dan and Michael. If you'd like to become a Patreon subscriber and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. Well, uh, I'm going to roll through a lecture today that I'm actually doing at the Los Angeles Bread Festival at Grand Central Market in downtown Los Angeles this Saturday, June 4th at 4 p.m. Are you going to be there, Kelly? Am I? I'm not sure because I've got something to do in the morning. Uh, That's very supportive and wifely. That is so supportive. I'm not sure how, but it's something I have to do and I'm not sure how long it runs. I hope I'm there. Got it. Well, uh, I guess you might miss it, but I'm also doing a sourdough demo at 1 p.m. And there'll be lots of talks and bread vendors and the event is totally... Free. 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 So if you live in the L.A. area, you should certainly come down and see that. It's the second year of the festival, and it was a lot of fun last year. There were a lot of people, and of course, Grand Central Market is, uh, for those of you not in Los Angeles, it's a really fun old place with lots of... uh, Really delicious food. Yeah, new food vendors, and actually a new little market in there, and fancy coffee, and fancy food, and it's it's a lot of fun. At any rate, you should come, and it's uh, 10 to 6, I think, um, on Saturday and Sunday. But for those of you who can't make it, uh, I'm going to do kind of roll through my crazy presentation. It's kind of like a dress rehearsal. A little bit of a dress rehearsal for Without visuals. Yes. If you are in Los Angeles, you have to come because you have to see the the visuals, which, of course, involve a lot of pictures of cats. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unsurprisingly. But everyone else would have to put on their picture hats and imagine really hard. <laughs> exactly. Well, I begin the lecture actually with an anecdote from um, from Islam, uh, and that is this story uh, of Noah's Ark, uh, which in the Islamic version, I don't think it's in the Quran, it's just sort of a, a story or a legend that, um, the, that the Ark was overrun with rats and mice. And God instructed Noah to pet the nostril of the lion, whereupon the lion sneezed out a pair of house cats. And I think that's the perfect story because it encapsulates the two reasons that we human beings coexist with cats. And that is obviously controlling rats and mice and them on ships, the ship's cat. Oh, I see. It's kind of nice the way that legend rolls the two into one. But that's the basic gist of the talk, and the rest is kind of an elaboration. But, you know, obviously it starts with a little bit of the history of of grain, because that's the purpose of the festival, of course. And I'm there representing the Los Angeles bread bakers, so there's going to be a lot of talk of grain. 
But the real connection is that our domestic house cats and our domesticated grain come from the same place, which is the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East. Can you uh, elucidate the Fertile Crescent? I don't th- think I can uh, off the <laughs> top of my head. It's, it's Syria, uh, modern-day Syria, Iraq. It's kind of from the Mediterranean Sea to the Persian Gulf. I think, yeah. It's uh, sort of a crescent that goes... There you go. That's correct. Well, there's... The Tigris and the Euphrates. Everybody knows those names somehow, even if we really might not be able to find them. Um, there's the Tigris and the Euphrates uh, running between those two bodies of water, and that kind of makes a, a rough crescent shape. That's how I understand the Fertile Crescent. Exactly. And it's the place where also grain was first domesticated, more than Assyria, likely. Assyria, Sumer... Those kinds of Kadesh, those places, Babylon, all those ancient, exactly. ancient places. And, um, so that's going like back 10,000 years, right? We started. Oh, yeah, we're going way back. And that's one of the points of my talk is because the, um, the standard popular story you hear about cats is not actually correct. People say, oh, they're from Egypt. Not actually true. Uh, the domestication of cats predates the Egyptian. Uh, culture by several thousand years. And that's one of the interesting things about this. Because people were gathering wild grain, even before they were domesticating grain, and excuse me, and once they started to domesticate the grain and keep it in a a storage facility, then there's a problem, right? Because then you get rats rats and mice. And we're talking about 9,500 years ago, actually, this going on, uh, at least. Actually, the domestication of grain, probably maybe before that, but the storage of grain, the first granaries are thought to be somewhere in the 9,500 BC era. Um, So quite a long time ago, before the Egyptian civilization Mm -hmm. existed. Well, Egyptian civilization could not exist without grain. I mean, to... to, um power it. All great civilizations are powered on grain. Right, right. And of course, once again, it's it's pretty basic that when you have grain, you have vermin yes. problems, and you have to deal with that somehow. Because they're opportunistic. Now, conveniently, there There's is... other opportunistic species. <laughs> there are other opportunistic are... <laughs> species. Exactly. Maybe a little cuter than the mice, although the mice have their fans. One is a particular kind of wild cat from this Fertile Crescent region, popularly known as the Arabian wild cat. And recent DNA evidence has basically pointed all of our house cats back to this particular Arabian wild cat, which seems to have basically domesticated itself amongst the peoples of the Fertile Crescent, who were the people keeping grain and storage facilities. Hmm. And again, this is quite a long time ago. Now, if you see a picture of them, Eric has a picture in his um, collection here. It looks like the wolf of house cats. I'm not exactly sure how else to put that. It's a, it's a cat clearly, but it's a, it's more badass looking than a house cat. A little bit, a little bit lankier and leggier. Yeah, it's bigger. Seems to have like a little more power in its shoulders, uh, kind of bigger shoulders. It really does look like a wolfy cat. But what makes it difficult at first sight is apparently this wildcat interbreeds with domesticated cats. So its range is smaller and it's interbred now. Mm -hmm. There's no pure 
Arabian there, wildcats. I guess left. there are some left, but it's kind of difficult to figure them out from sight. Now there are other wildcats that are small around the world, but apparently, while they're related to the modern house cat, they're not the direct. Um, what is ancestor. it? Ancestor exactly. Yeah. Um, they they don't domesticate well. There's some in Europe and there's some in other places too. But these other wild cats, again, they don't they don't domesticate. They stay wild. Although confusingly, they interbreed with modern house cats too. So that you know makes it a little bit uh, messy. Hmm. There's also I I throw on a slide of some sand cats of course, just so because cute. they're the cutest cat. Oh Again, God. another one of these wild cats, but not the direct ancestor. They look like Japanese cartoon versions of cats. Exactly. <laughs> they're <really> exactly. Cute. <laughs> now, some of this is a bit speculative. What we do know uh ha- is that there was a grave found in the island of Cyprus uh dating to 7500 BC. So that's what 9500 years ago, something like that. Again, predating Egyptian civilization, and in this grave is a human being and a cat, a small cat, buried side by side, which seems to, of course, indicate their importance or their perhaps being kept as pets, because that's not something that you would see unless this is some kind of valued animal. At least that's the assumption. Although it could be a ritual animal of some sort. Well, there you go. Well, Spoken like a true humanities major. (laughs) Anyway. Well, I've seen like a, you know, at the... I think it's at the Getty Museum. There's a fellow, a mummified fellow there who was, who was buried with a with an ibis folded up over his heart. It's very beautiful, yeah. you know. But I doubt he, the ibis was not a pet, you know. So you know, the ibis meant something. So, but you would say that either the cat had ritual slash religious value or it was a pet, exactly. or sacrificial value, perhaps. And since it's an island. We know it was brought there. That's yes. the other thing about it, of course. Yes. So that, again, that, that this predates Egyptian civilization. So that story, I think, is, needs to be told a little differently. Mm-hmm. And the island of Cyprus still has a lot of cats. There's actually a monastery there that's known for keeping cats. The cats on Cyprus, a lot of them curiously look a lot like our cats. Our cats? They oh. do. They do, actually. I'm looking at a picture of them right now, which is a brown tabby with a white bib. That essential, that kind of, it's kind of a classic cat look. And the white bib's indication of, of human beings screwing with the genetics, of course, because the wild cats are all tabbies. Would not have white bibs. Exactly. Yeah. But, of course, uh, cats were uh, valued in Egypt, uh, again, because it's a culture that grew grain. Uh, however, you know, they, they were both kept as pets and sacrificed. So that's a curious arrangement, but, you know, definitely the Egyptian culture was a, I think safe to say a cat obsessed culture. But I think, um, the most cat obsessed culture may be the Islamic world, uh, because, um, Cats figure prominently in the story of the Prophet Muhammad. I don't people maybe outside of the Islamic world don't know this, but and this is not in the Quran, but there's a story that Muhammad kept a pet cat. I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Musa? Is that how you pronounce that? Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's me. Anyways, the story goes that he was at prayer and the cat laid down on his sleeve and rather than disturb the cat, he cut his sleeve off. That's the that's the story. And there's also one of his companions, uh, again, my, I don't, I don't speak Arabic, mm-hmm. but Abu Horea, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly, but one of his, the prophet's companions, that means the father of the kitten, mm-hmm. uh, because his companion of his apparently kept a cat, which was, and again, one of these stories that I, I don't think is in the Quran, but it's a story that uh, this cat killed a snake that was going to bite the prophet. So uh, cats uh, in most places in the Islamic world are, have been <clears throat> revered ever since. There's other stories, too, that uh, Muhammad saw a cat drinking uh, the water that's used for purification. And supposedly that means that the cat is then a clean animal. Unlike a dog. Right. Uh, there's other stories, apparently, uh, that the, there's sort of an M shape on some cats' heads, and mm-hmm. this is said to be uh, a blessing of the prophet. Which he is strange. His cause cat on his hand on the He the put his hand and, on the forehead. I mean, I right. love that story, and our cats have been blessed by the prophet, but um, that's, isn't that in... M is in is the M in the Arabic alphabet? You know that doesn't make any sense. No, it's not. But I, I think <laughs> I mean, that so. Whose story is that? It's not a. It's not so much an M as it is a kind oh, of a handprint. Oh, it's a handprint. It's not an M for Muhammad. Right. Oh, right. it doesn't look like a handprint. It looks like an M. Oh, it's very confusing. Uh, the other part of that story is uh, he blessed the back of the the head and the back and the forehead uh, and thus gave cats the writing reflex you know when they fall they they write themselves oh they twist so, in the air yeah that's the other part of that story oh. now um it's not universal but in many parts of the uh muslim world you'll see uh, kind of an obsession with cats if you google mosque cat you'll <laughs> yeah, see that's <laughs> <laughs> Lots of examples of this. There's a, a mosque in, in Turkey recently that got a lot of publicity because the imam who's in charge of it basically welcomed all the neighborhood cats in during the winter. And there was a video that went viral of one of the mother cats uh, taking, taking her, her kittens, kittens into, into the, the pulpit. It was really sweet. Very yeah. sweet. And there's another viral video of a little boy trying to do his prayers while a really pesky cat bothers him. And yet another video of an imam reading from the Quran while a cat... Uh, wanders around his his feet so but again not surprising because this is a culture coming out of the fertile crescent a culture where grain is valued bread is valued and and it follows that that cats would be a part of that Hmm. now in many parts of the developing world cats are you know they're sometimes kept as pets or sometimes there's just sort of a feral population that is um maybe just fed or, you know, that is just there, basically. Now, in the ancient world, there's also the Romans and the Greeks, of course, and there it, I've found examples of the cat in art showing that it seems like they were kept as pets, but confusingly, the Romans and Greeks seem to also use weasels as pest control. For rats. Like ferrets and weasels, which I really love since you discovered that fact. I love the idea that, you know, like a 
as a Roman matron, I would be standing out looking over my garden, watching the weasels run through it. <laughs> I guess. You know, oh, the weasels are out today. You actually had a pet ferret. I had a pet a ferret when I was a kid, Ferret Fawcett. Oh, God. That's a terrible <laughs> pun. I know. Isn't that terrible? No. <laughs> Not the best pet. Why so? Oh, I loved her because I, I love all animals. My my family was miserable. They're just not truly domesticated. Um, uh, they can be litter box trained nominally. She was never 100% clear on the litter box use. She, uh, uh, she liked to chew on my family's toes. She never attacked me, but she attacked my my family, she, she attacked my brother mercilessly. My little brother just lived in fear of her. Uh, she never drew blood, but she would come up and nip your toes or nip you in the ear or something if you're on the floor. She would <laughs> stalk my mom when she was on the toilet. <laughs> she was helpless. <laughs> um, yeah, they all, uh, everybody hated her. And they have a very strong smell. And so um, I had to wash her all the time. Um, so she always smelled like this odd combination of like prell and ferret. <laughs> um, they're very playful. It's kind of like having a kitten all the time, though. Really, really fun. She she was a thief. She liked to steal things and hide them under my bed. Um, anything that crackled or. I don't know. She, she, I remember, like once we had some guests over, and her, her um, parading through the living room with a, a tampon in her mouth, like a wrapped tampon because it was crinkly. She loves, she loved crinkly things. She would steal hard candies and um, lick them and stick them to the carpet under the sofa. You know, she, stuff like that. <laughs> she was difficult, um, and she met an unfortunate end at the um, hands, so to speak, of our dog. Which was bad. To the delight of the family, I hate to say My it, brother but... actually jumped up and down and cheered when he found out she was dead. <laughs> oh, God. That's... While I sobbed and my mom tried to look neutral. <laughs> it was bad. Well, that's a horrible story. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> Poor Ferret Fawcett. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend them. Uh, but I guess the Romans and the Greeks used them somehow. I'm a little confused about that. I doubt that. they... Well, it might have, you know, had them, uh, you know, as pets, sort of. Maybe sort of sort of wild pets that ran around outside but were gentle enough that you could pick up. I, I could imagine, you know, them having them in that way. Ferret Fawcett probably would have been happier if she could run around outside. Well, of course, there's a famous portrait by da Vinci of a woman holding an ermine. Ermine, yeah, that's beautiful. Is it ermine? Is that how you say that? Yeah. Which is a kind of weasel ferret thing? thing that family of slinky things. And it seems to be a pet. Yes, definitely. That's much later, but still, yeah. Weasels have been in the news recently because one of them apparently shut down the Hadron Super Collider. In, <laughs> yes, uh, yay, weasels. Yeah. <laughs> Go. They I, found its, its, its electrocuted body, I, right? I'm assuming. I think, they, I think I read that. They found this. That's how they know it was a weasel that, that caused the damage that cut, which happened to one of my hamsters in a refrigerator. Uh, <laughs> Similar. <laughs> Lower stakes, but oh, pretty the sad pet stories. I have, I've got many. <laughs> that was a good one because our sort of bossy great aunt was visiting and she sniffed it out. She was like, what is that smell? And we were like, what? What smell? <laughs> And we discovered the fate of my escaped hamster, Feisty. Oh, dear. Who was no longer so feisty. 
Oh, boy. Another sad story. Feisty learns you do not chew on the coils of the refrigerator. All right. But back to cats. Um, many, many tales. <laughs> cats, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, cats uh, kept to, to prevent uh, vermin problems, but also took to ships readily. So because of that, they are all over the world now. And that's, would, one, that's one thing I really love about this is that, that understanding that without ships... That, that all sh- let's put it this way that all of our cats are ship cats yeah all of our cats are descendants, descendants of ship, ship cats. cats so you know you know even your your most lazy domesticated cat has the the gleam of the sea in his eye it's a bit of a pirate now cats made it to europe and this is another part of the story i think that is that is mistold because it's it's often said well they were persecuted in the dark ages but as it turns out that's not correct either. Um, and I, I first got a hint of that when I was looking through some medieval manuscripts and kept finding cats in the margins, very obviously as pets, as vermin prevention. And very amusingly, uh, they were kept in monasteries because rats, in addition to going after, um, you know, rats and mice will eat manuscripts apparently books mm-hmm. and things like that so the books may have skin it's tasty and this came out maybe a year or two ago that um someone found some a medieval manuscript with a cat footprint an inky from the footprint ink. yes like a, yeah a cat who'd been walking through the scriptorium and then better than that very likely i'd say yeah and then better than that someone found um a manuscript that had been peed on by a cat <laughs> Even more likely. (laughs) And the the monk had written in the margins this, this quote, Here is nothing missing, but a cat urinated on this during a certain night. Cursed be the pesky cat that urinated over this book during the night in Deventer, and because of it many others, other cats too, Oh, no. Right. It started off a chain reaction. Exactly. Marking. Oh, no. And it says, and beware well not to leave open books at night where <laughs> cats can come. <laughs> There's a, another nice quote I found from an Irish uh, monk that who wrote, um, who had a pet cat in the monastery. It says, I and Pinger Bon, my cat... Tis a like task we are at. Hunting mice is his delight. Hunting words, I sit all night. Hmm. That was a nice uh, hmm. little poem there. Now, uh, they came to Europe. There were apparently Viking cats, ship cats. Yay. Right? Yay, Viking cats. Now, I couldn't find a picture, of course, of a Viking cat. However, there are lots of Viking cat memes. So you'll just have to come to the... Uh, <laughs> presentation if you want to see that as well as lots of cats in the margins it's interesting because viking uh ships were quite small um well i guess all of the early ships were small compared to the later ships uh, this is like not a lot of room to have a cat i mean like a you know great age of sailing um like jack aubrey's ship you know had room for goats and a few had a beef and some chickens so he could have eggs in the morning and all of that but uh, a Viking ship's really small, so to jam it. And there's not really even a below decks, so that cat is just like on a wave-swept shallow deck with a bunch of hairy Vikings kind of underfoot all the time. It's an interesting uh, image to imagine. Apparently, though, it must have happened. they had no space. Hmm. Yeah, it had to happen. 
So Viking cats, we have, again, lots of uh, examples of cats in European art. Um, and then, you know, there's this um, association with witches, which apparently it's not so much witches as association with heretics for some reason or another. And I'm still trying to get to the bottom of this, but the whole cat-witch thing seems to be a bit overblown. Uh, there were definitely cat persecutions at certain points. These seem to be mostly in the early modern period, not in the Middle Ages. So a little bit later. A little bit later. Like 1600s? Yeah, 1500s, 1600s. And this was a very violent and bloody time in general, but primarily a period uh, in which there's the emergence of the modern state, and that causes a, a huge amount of violence. But not so much um, widespread cat extermination. I think it did happen, and there was definitely this this ambivalence about cats that still exists, and some people really hate them. But I don't think it was a widespread thing. I think it was um, episodic and localized because um, there's some, you know, so this idea that black cats were exterminated. If that's the case, there should be fewer black cats in Europe, and that's apparently not. And in other places. People looked at the genetics of this. It's the same whether it's the Middle East or China or whatever. It's the same number of black cats. Right. So it didn't, the persecutions did not affect the genetic population. Exactly. Exactly. Not to say it didn't happen, but it's not apparently as widespread as this story goes. Well, certainly if the monks were keeping them, um, you know, it wasn't such a simple thing like, oh, well, cats were considered the devil's creature. They were unholy. Therefore, they were, pers- they were, you know, decimated. In some instances, yes, but it doesn't seem to be universal. That they kept them? The, no, that they were considered some kind of yeah. um, evil thing. Yeah. So I'd like to actually, there's a book here uh, in setting all the story straight, but it's um, not as clear as it, um, as the, as the standard, the simple, well, yeah, that's simple how domestication it's with everything. story goes. We like, we have our simpler stories that we tell ourselves, it's the way we understand and generalize, but history is usually very, very complex. A, a lot more messy. Yeah. All right. Well, but it's uh, and the other the other indication that that this this extermination isn't universal is because there's this constant example of cats as ship cats. They're just they're there. Now, so for instance, cats come to the New World in this tempestuous early modern period with the pilgrims. Not well. I actually don't know about the pilgrims, but with the Spanish, with the, the Spanish, Spanish brought oh. them okay. to the new world. And we know for sure, because one of the Spanish conquistadors, they kept the itemized list. Yeah. Uh, they it's, brought it, yeah, it's uh, uh, all their pigs to, you know, bring their diseases and their cats. There's a 1609 document, uh, the Royal comments from the Incas written by, uh, Garcilasco de la Vega. Oh, my Spanish is terrible. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he lists the animals the conquistadors brought, and one mm-hmm. of them is the domestic cat, as a ship's cat. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're interested in the topic of ship's cats, this was, I should say, the ship cat part of this lecture was inspired by a, uh, a wonderful guy in town named Paul Kudinaris. I'm, I'm mangling mm-hmm. a bunch of names today. Names are hard. Nice Greek name. Anyways, he did a very funny lecture about ship's cats at the uh, last bookstore downtown earlier this year. Uh, But uh, if you're interested in the topic of ship's cats, there are websites. There's also even a book 
by Val Lewis. Which I bought for Eric because he was so enchanted with the Ship Cats lecture because nothing is dearer to Eric than cats, I think, that um, I I, I bought him this book and he's loved it. It's it's such a, a wonderful little corner of history called the the book is called ships cats in war and peace (laughs) (laughs) many many brave ships cats saw service you know now you might object what about the dogs ships dogs there were ships dogs yes Yes, many ships dogs i actually found a book called a sea dog's tale (laughs) 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 the true story of a small dog on a big ocean i'm not sure what that's about a salty dog tale i think it's about a skipper key which of course course. is a um Dog, especially bred for barges. Dutch barges. Dutch barges. Yes. So there were ships. Dogs. I mean, dogs do rat. There are ratter breeds. I. They're different. I was thinking about how different they are because. And there were rat catching dogs. Like you know, in the oldy days in England, you'd call a rat catcher, and he'd come with his terriers, and they would clear out your, you know, clear your barn of rats. But cats are stealth hunters. Uh, whereas dogs are, are chaos hunters. I don't know if like a pack of them go in and stir things up and kill. I, it seems like they would have slightly different functions. Like I think having a cat in your library, for instance, at night would be a good way to keep opportunistic mice from sneaking out. They would, the cat would just lay there and get them when they appeared. Whereas dogs, I think you bring in for a very bad situation. Yeah, and then apparently, and this is just totally crazy to me, that this this ship's cat phenomenon is so universal that apparently a lot of sailors would not get on a ship unless it had a cat on it. It was kind of a superstitious thing. They were lucky? I think they were lucky. They go all the way back. I mean, you have pictures of... of Ancient Egypt ship cats. Ship cats and barges and such. That's how the cats got their genes spread all over the place. And I owe this to to Paul, who did the lecture, but I also noticed, as as he did, that there's a whole phenomenon of hammocks for cats on ships. Very cute. Which I think, I'm imagining (laughs) bored sailors. Bored sailors weaving tiny hammocks for their kitty friends. So if you come to the lecture, you will see a series of... Cats in hammocks. <laughs> many, many examples of cats in hammocks. And uh, the other phenomenon, uh, as also Paul noted, is the sailors like to pose the cats in the, the ship's guns. So they would put the kittens in the, you know, the, the opening of the gun and take pictures. They're not, <laughs> sh- not shooting the cat, let's be clear. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So if you Google this, you will find in the uh, ship cat literature... Uh, the extensive ship cat literature online, you'll see many pictures of, of cats, very cute cats, posing next to the ship's guns. And they had a lot of um, uh, they kind of the equivalent of cat memes, you know, where the like a ship would commemorate, uh, make commemorative postcards or, oh, or I'll photographs. Get to that in a oh, second. you're going to get to that? Okay. There's nothing new about the cat meme, if that's what you're, yeah, you're going, where you're going. But yeah, there were many, I'm not going to get into it now, but there were many famous uh, World War II era ships' cats, both British and American. So the there, cat itself would represent the ship. Yeah, there were sort of mascots. Of, of like, yeah, they're like mascots, and there'd be a picture of a cat with maybe a wreath behind it or a flag or something. And sometimes a be, small uniform. And sometimes they have a little tiny hat on. <laughs> and it's like, you know, this is Mr. Chippy or whatever from the SS, this and that. And um, Well, Mr. Chippy was the ill-fated cat. Oh, that's why it came to mind. Yeah, Mr. Chippy was the Shackleton cat. Shackleton killed the cat, but that's I, another that's story. That's another story entirely. Shackleton is a cat murderer. Uh, in 
the lecture, I point out Pooley, the uh, World War II era U.S. Um, transport ship cat who had a little uniform <laughs> and retired happily, apparently. <laughs> Good. Happy ending for Pooley. Uh, the, one of the more famous ship cats of the period was Blackie on the HMS Prince of Wales. There's a picture of him greeting Winston Churchill. Actually, Winston Churchill preventing him from stepping on the U.S. ship where uh, President Roosevelt was about to meet with him. <laughs> the cat was later renamed um, Churchill, I believe, or Winston. One of the <laughs> two. I don't know. But at any rate. And then, of course, I'll get into the, the most decorated World War II cat, Simon. Uh, the British uh, cat who um, saved um, many soldiers from uh, starvation, but that's another story. Oh right? yeah, Simon he hunted rats for he them. He hunted rats. They yes. were these these sailors were stuck in an enemy port and they couldn't provision uh, and they couldn't leave. And but they did have a lot of rats in the hold, and Simon brought them rats to eat. Which exactly. Was He's a tuxedo cat for you fans. Now, speaking of uh, memes, cat memes, this is proof that the cat meme is not a, a new phenomenon. And this is the story of the airship America, which, um, you know, it was one of the first airships. And naturally, uh, being the ship in the airship, I guess someone figured it needed a cat. It just was one of those things that it's would carry. One of those like things. There has to be a cat on this airship or it's unlucky. So thus was uh, Trent, the cat. Uh, uh, a seasoned ocean-going cat. I'm not I, sure I if he was a seasoned ocean-going cat I or got not. the impression he was because he belonged to the, well, he anyway. belonged to the owner of the airship. Oh, well, hmm. And he went up in the airship, and apparently when the airship went up, he was not happy. He freaked. He freaked out. Which I don't blame him. It must have been very weird to be up in the air with the engines roaring and the motion of the Which, airship led to the first ground-to-air um, transmission being, and I quote, Roy, get this goddamn cat out of here. That's the story. Don't know if that's true or not. Anyways, uh, Trent went up in the airship, and unfortunately the airship went down in the ocean. It, I think it, it basically reached Europe, but didn't quite make it. went mm -hmm. down in the ocean. And uh, thankfully, though, the cat was rescued and uh, went on to become a famous cat and I think was displayed in a department store in New York for a while in a golden cage, something like that. And during that period, they sold these postcards that say Trent, the mascot, Airship America, with a you know, <laughs> lifesaver around him. So there's a, that's proof that thousands of these cards were sold, apparently. So famous, early, early famous Trent, cat. Trent, the cranky airship cat. Trent <laughs> Who actually, was a tabby? I, yeah, he also had a it's name. like a gold I'm tabby. I can't remember what his original name was. It wasn't Trent. They changed the name. I don't... Oh, was Trent the name of the ship? No, it was yeah. the... Anyways. He probably uh, had like a ridiculous name, like Mr. Marmalade, and that was... Not, some of these, these, they have great names, actually. So... No. Oh, it's Kiddo. 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 Yes. Kiddo became Trent. Uh, all right. But back to the, we're a little off topic here, other than to say that the cats went around the world because of the ships. But um, yeah, any cat, like I was thinking, well, if you live in the Middle East, if you're in the Middle East, you might have original cat genetics in your house cat. But like here in the US, you have to assume that any cat you've got came over. Was a ship, ship cat at some point. Yeah. His ancestors were. Yeah. I tried to find uh, famous farm cats. There don't don't seem to be any that I could 
find. Oh, that were renowned for that, being mousers? Yes, that, you know, ended up on postcards yeah, or something have more, like that. more folk songs and things like that about about great mousers, but we don't, we don't I, appreciate I'm, them. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are, but there aren't particular individual cats yeah. I could find that are famous farm cats, maybe just because farm cats are kind of in the background. Uh, there is, of course, the Maine Coon cat. So I found many pictures of very large Maine Coon cats mm. being held up by people. Apparently that was a supposedly a breed of, of cat brought from England uh, specifically as a farm cat. But what I did find, however, I was delighted to find a cat that we may actually have met because we, a famous cat, uh, and that is because we, our honeymoon was on the Orkney island Isles. of the, yeah, the Orkney Islands in, what was, what year was it? 98, <laughs> 97, 97, 97, <laughs> I think. or 96, yeah, <laughs> it, was it was a like while a ago. a long time ago, 97. Yeah, anyways, um, Orkney Islands, very stunning, by the way. Mm -hmm. it, you should all consider going there if you want to see some amazing Neolithic monuments. Much, much better than Stonehenge, Definitely to be honest with you. Definitely a place to go if you're a Neolithic junkie. Yes. Like we are. <laughs> we went in the off-season. Yeah, of you the, go in the off-season and there's no one there. So no one's there. All these Pretty cold. But, yeah. a, but a beautiful place. And one of the stops there is the Highland Park Distillery. Which makes a fine whiskey. Very fine Highland whiskey. Park. Highland Park. And uh, whiskey, in case you don't know how it's made, you take barley and you malt it, meaning you sprout it. In order to do that, you have to spread the barley out on a big floor. And of course, if you do that, you're going you're to get... ringing the dinner bell for every mouse exactly. in the county. Exactly. And yeah. it's a, the, the building itself was a very old, ton of brick building, very funky, you know, not kind of porous brick building, right? It wasn't... Um, it was very old. Yeah. I doubt you could keep mice out of any building, you know, if they wanted to get in. But yeah, it was certainly the kind of building that would be rife with mouse holes. And while there are no famous farm cats, there are many famous distillery cats, one of whom we may have met, and that is Barley, who is now the late cat of the Highland Park Distillery, who apparently was not very friendly. I don't remember. We don't think we got close to Barley. No. I have a vague memory of seeing a cat like in the distance and them saying that he was very important uh, to keeping the mice out of the out of the, the drying floor. I remember that. Yeah, someone com that we had the tour, yeah. the tour, tour guide commented on it. It, it. Unfortunately, he lived a long life, but he was hit by a car in 2006. Was it? Yes. Oh, cars. I hate cars. <laughs> That's another podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he was survived by his brother Pete and sister Malt. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, now. Going back to the 18th century, actually the, the distillery cat, like the ship's cat, goes way back. One of the more famous distillery cats is Smitty of the old Jameson Distillery in Dublin. And one of the things with the distillery cats is that uh, there's a, a body count that, that the owners like to keep on the, the mice. So supposedly <laughs> Smitty... Uh, killed 22 mice per day, lived a long, healthy life, and was so famous that he was taxidermied, where you can still apparently see him at the old Jameson distillery. It's a they have creepy. him posed on a, where he used to like to hunt for the mice. Yeah, it's it's a funny, the picture's funny. There's this disturbing looking... Not the best taxidermy. <laughs> taxidermy job. Well, it's a very old taxidermy job, I suppose. Yes, very and old. It's, and it's it's up, uh, like, looks like it's up kind of uh, in a loft 
I think, you know, it's like you, you would just look up, I think, and see, see his many staring eyes up there. But now the most famous of the story cats is probably Towser of the, um, what brewery is that? Kelly, I'm going to look at oh, my notes here. Glen Turret. Uh, Glen Livet? Glen Livet. A Glen Turret. Glen Turret. A Glen Turret distillery. Towser of the Glen Turret distillery. Supposedly killed 28,899 mice, uh, making her the most famous, uh, or Guinness Book record distillery cat. Now, <laughs> some have disputed this number because it's conjecture. So, you know, who knows what actual distillery cat is the uh, most um, famous mouser. <laughs> But Towser, the most prolific seems, serial yes, killer of mice. Towser has a monument uh, to her. Um, also, there was a um, line of whiskey that the distillery put out that had a portrait of Towser on the side of it for a while. It's been discontinued. Oh. But the, 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 the monument of Towser, I gotta say, is awful. It's nice. very nice. It's as Handsome good as monument. the Ben Johnson. Yes, Ben Johnson's cat. Someone did a very nice statue. Yeah, it's Hodge just, the cat of in Hodge London. Towser is not the Towser is not quite as classy as the Hodge statue, but I, I would be happy to have either of these in my yard. I got to say. Now the funny thing about these distillery cats, I think they are practical, but they're also in the public relations department mm. of the distillery. They seem to be a thing, and mm. I, I I think from our tour, there may have been another cat in the tasting room. You know, do you remember this? No, I don't. At any rate, I think that's a thing. So there's many other distillery cats. There's another Barley. uh, Barley Barley too. Yes. uh, At uh, Grey Goose. Is that it? Famous. uh, The famous Grouse is the name of the booze. I'm looking at at the picture of it here. I don't know what distillery that is. Not sure. But there's, there's, this goes on today. And in fact, um, I decided to see if there were brewery cats and indeed, there are many brewery cats. There's a nice, um, in the southeast U.S., uh, a place called Service Brewery, which employs uh, veterans, and they have feral cat, not feral, they rescue cats that are then the distillery cats. So it seems like a nice company. And they have a cat named Blackhawk. They have a cat named Blackhawk, right. Hmm. Yeah, so it, again, the, the, the distillery and the brewery cat may be the working cat of the future. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it seems like with the internet, they've been fully subsumed into PR. So maybe there'll be other PR, just purely PR cats. That's an mm-hmm. idea of mine. So much better for us to use the cats as rodent control than to put out poisons, which is one of my absolute pet peeves, is the poisoning of rodents. And they're so much more effective for public relations. I too. know, they're so much cuter. Right? you I know. Mean, but you know, you go into like... You know, like around uh, shopping centers or whatever, you see those black, those black rat poison uh, bait centers. You know, and you know, I I just look at that and I go, okay, so now we're going to have a toxic rat or mouse dying somewhere, and then something's going to eat that. Maybe a feral cat or a coyote or a hawk oh, or a, right. you know a, a, a cougar even in our um, world yeah. here, and they're going to get sick because we're you know we're selfish that way, and we should just have more cats. There you go. And again, I'm going to keep pushing this more PR cats. You know, for instance, no one likes the banks anymore after the economic apocalypse, right? You know, the, oh, so you just have cats be, be the, sh- the face cat. of banking, right? I mean, who likes Wells Fargo? But if Wells we Fargo like had Wells- a cat instead of that stupid stagecoach thing, <laughs> then you would you like know? Wells Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> Looney the bank cat. Looney the- <laughs> I don't know. 
and something like that. Just <laughs> usury the cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I, I, I conclude the lecture with another outre thought styling, which is, uh, you know, this ambivalence of, about cats. I wonder if it's related to our ambivalence about agriculture in general. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, Expand on that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like uh, the, the whole gluten intolerance thing, you know, that the, I think is fading a little bit now. But I think we're a little ambivalent about the idea that we have to work for our food or that someone has to work for our food, uh, that uh, we're, we've been cast out of the Garden of Eden and that by the sweat of our brow, we're going to have to eat bread. And uh, I wonder if... Uh, agriculture and cats represent kind of the the work of civilization and our ambivalence about that civilization. Hmm. There you That's go. That's a highfalutin thought styling. It is. I don't know. I'll have to... Uh, Turn that into a book. You could do that. <laughs> Someone does <laughs> need to write a history of the domestication of the cat yeah because it, it has unbiased, not been written it, yeah, an yeah unbiased and one. well researched because i think a lot of these uh like a lot of the footnotes are going back to the same books which are popular books and not necessarily academic exactly. books and, and certain kind of old shibboleths get sort of dragged around Ideas and repeated and repeated and repeated and as if they are truth and they're not really so we need some serious serious scholarship on the cat all right, we have to go back to grad school. <laughs> no way. Well, on that note, I hope to see some of you at the Los Angeles Bread Festival at Grand Central Market, where I'll be doing a, a version of this talk, with, lavishly illustrated. <laughs> copiously illustrated. On Saturday, June 4th With magic lantern slides. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, again, the sourdough demo at 1 p.m. So I hope to see you there. Thanks again to our Patreon subscribers. And that is all. That is all. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcasts automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. You can support the Root Simple podcast through our Patreon campaign or through a one-time PayPal donation. You can find those links on the right side of our blog, which is rootsimple.com. You can also purchase one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening.